we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. to share the word of God with you. I welcome everybody here. Online people, we love you. I hope you know that so much. Hope you come see us one day or leave us a message, something. We love to reach out and uh, connect with you. Welcome to the third week, week number three. Everybody say week number three. three. Of our sermon series. It's called what? Scary words. Scary words. Uh, I know a lot of people, there was a lot of confusion over our bumper video here because it said all these things. And people are like, are they talking about the pastor or the sermon? Uh-huh. Horrifying, creepy, chilling, frightening. You guys love me, right? All right, thank you all for that. In week one of Scary Words, we brought you the scary word Ichabod. It's a name, and it means the glory has departed. If you missed that, you need to go check that one out. In week two, that's last week, we told you about the scary word Anapologitos, something like that. I I butchered it today. It means what? Without excuse. Without excuse. I have no excuse for not being able to say Greek words. Anapologitos. It's it's really tough. It's a hard word. It's a weird word. There's too many apa stuff and going. But today we got a brand new word. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Can you turn there in your Bible? You're going to want to look at this. It's a verse you might want a little circle on your ver- on, on your Bible. This chapter is really an interesting chapter. This chapter teaches us a lot of things that are yet to come. We're going to be beginning at verse 9, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonians chapter 2. In the original Greek, there's an extra H in there. Just kidding. That's not true at all. If you're there, say yeah. All right, let's look together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Writer of 2 Thessalonians is Paul. The Apostle Paul writes a warning about a very scary individual. Perhaps you noticed he was called the lawless one. Everybody say lawless one. Lawless one. Anomos. That's the word there. 
Greek word for the lawless one. It literally means without law or a transgressor of the law. The coming of the anomos, the lawless one. But wait, Paul, wait one second. Let me help, help me understand this, Paul. Aren't law-breaking sinners already present on the earth? There's this lawbreaker coming, but wait, Paul, aren't we kind of all lawbreakers? All of us are actually anomos. We're transgressors of the law. So, Paul, if you're saying the lawless one is coming, this is hardly a revelation because look around. He here already. He's me. We are lawless people. We, we break God's commands all the time. We could go down that, that list and there, whoa, we, none of us come unscathed when it comes to the commands of the Lord. He gives us 10 commands. We can't even do those, y'all. Paul is talking about a person here. A person coming who actually works exactly like Satan works. So he's not just talking about you. He's talking about a guy we call the Antichrist. Everyone say Antichrist. Antichrist. It is clear that Paul is talking about the Antichrist. In Scripture, it is prophesied that the devil himself will come to earth in his own type of incarnation. Scripture says a great deal about this lawless man of sin. We just read that the Anomos will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders. Not going to be just an ordinary man. It's going to be the most powerful man walking on earth. He's going to be shocking. He is going to wow people. People are going to say, I have never seen anything like this. He is going to duplicate very much Christ on earth. When you read your gospels, they go, what, is, what kind of teaching is this? Did you see what he did back there? He made an eyeball out of dirt. He walked on the water. Who is this kind of guy? I'm telling you that this anomos is going to show up with the same kind of display of power. Through signs and wonders. This Antichrist, he's going to be crowned king, not of a city, not of a state, not of a nation, but the entire world. Now this ought to really hack you off. Because the real Christ came, and we did no such thing. The real Christ came, and showed us exactly what the Father in heaven is like. And what did we do? Did we crown him king? No, we did not crown him king. We numbered him with the transgressors. That's an Old Testament prophecy that he'd be numbered with the transgressors. And who did he die beside? He died beside two thieves, a terrible, terrible death upon the cross. But this Antichrist, this Anomos, will be crowned king of the earth. And people will actually bow down before his image and worship him as God. If you read your Bible... You will see that pattern in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar did the exact same thing. But now this guy is going to get the entire world 
to start bowing and worshiping him as God. My goodness. When the real Christ came, we hurled insults at him. We made fun of where he was from. We said, ha, he's no prophet. If he was a real prophet, perhaps he could save himself. Heal or heal thyself. These kind of insults they threw at him. But this Anamos, he is going to have power. Not only demonic spiritual power, but he will have the authority as the king of the world to kill anyone who doesn't bow down and worship. To kill anyone who doesn't take his special mark. Everybody's heard of the mark of the beast. He's going to have a mark and anyone who doesn't take it, they are going to be, it's going to be impossible for them to buy or sell. It's going to be impossible them for them to, to hardly get food. They will either die of starvation or they'll die at the hands of his angry soldiers. This will happen. Everyone say anomos. The Antichrist is indeed a scary subject. It is indeed a scary, scary word. However, it is not our scary word for tonight. What? Thank you. I love to surprise someone. Anamos is not our scary word for tonight. We should take it seriously. We should know about it. We should be informed about it. We shouldn't mess around with it. We shouldn't act like it's just nothing and just some wives tale or some, some fairy tale in the Bible. But I want to tell you tonight, I haven't come to talk about the devil tonight. I have not come to talk about the anamos tonight. There is a much scarier word. Amber, we've already read it. We've already read it. It's not anamos. There's something much scarier. Pastor, do you mean there is something scarier than the devil? Yeah, absolutely. Not even close. I mean it with all my heart. If you think the devil is the number one scary thing in the world, you got it wrong. There is something more terrifying than a, than a demon walking around in a human body and ruling the world. <laughs> as crazy and as wild as that sounds, there's something scarier than that. And this is exactly what I'm preaching to you tonight. One more time, I want us to read our scripture. Can we read our scripture together? Look, look upon the word. We've got it on the screen. You've got it in your Bibles. Let's read it. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. One of the scariest words. We're going cover to cover for the scariest words in your Bible. One of the scariest words in your Bible is in verse 10. Can you throw 10 up there? As we read through this scripture, it is likely you moved past this word. It probably didn't grab your attention. 
There aren't enough sermons about this word. So let's preach one today. The word is U Dechomai. Say U Dechomai. U Dechomai. And it means refuse. They perish because the devil, is that what it said? They perish because the anomo, the, with all the power, can't, no, it says they perished because they udechomai, refused. That's our scary word for tonight, udechomai. This Greek word is kind of two words put together. It's dechomai, which means receive. Everyone say receive. But attached to the word for receive is a negative prefix, ooh, which means no. It means not. So you have the word receive, but then you have nope, infirm. You have the word receive, and you have not going to in front of that word. They did not receive. They said no to receiving. They refused to receive, and that is why they perished. They told God no. They told God no. I can't miss an opportunity to tell you that God is all-powerful. Y'all agree with that? He's omnipotent. He's got all power. He is sovereign. That means there is nothing out of the realm of his capability. There is nothing out of the realm of his power. There is nothing out of the realm of his control. He could do it all. It says he holds all things together by the word of his power. The fact that your body is attached to your body and your cells are holding on together is the, the word. His own word is keeping you together. That's how much in charge God is. Y'all agree with that? Never want to miss an opportunity. Oh my goodness, a lot of our fear is misplaced, isn't it? God's on the throne. God is still on the throne. At just a thought and utterance, God created the entire universe. All of it. As big as it is, we've never met the end uh, parts of the universe. We've never found the edge of the universe. God created that, and it just keeps going on and on with what? With just a simple utterance. Nothing compares to that power. And just as God created the entire universe, God could undo the entire universe just as easy. I can't create the universe. I couldn't destroy the universe if I wanted to. I couldn't. God could. Wouldn't work up a sweat doing it. Nothing compares to the power, majesty, and strength of the one God of the universe. One God has created all of this. One God holds all of this together. And yet, after just preaching you a little sermonette, on the awesome power of God, on the awesome authority of God, on the all-powerful God of the universe. 
I want to tell you it is possible to tell God no. It's possible to tell God no. Put that back up on the screen. They told God no. They told him no. You can tell God no. But he, he tells the ways how far to come. Absolutely. You can still tell him no. He's the one who put gravity and all the laws of the universe into work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely amazing. But you can still tell God no. God gave you a free will, and that is a very powerful thing. I want on the screen for it to say, they told God no. Right up here. Everyone say it. They told God no. God gave you a free will. Do you understand that? Do you understand that is the, pretty much the most powerful thing God has ever given you? He's given you a brain and you can actually use it. He's given you hands and you can choose how to use them. He's given you feet and you can choose where they carry you. He's given you a mind. He's given you a life. He's given you a soul and a spirit and a voice and ears and a mouth to speak. And you can do anything with it what you want. What a powerful thing. You feel powerless. God's given you such power. It's just unreal. You just haven't figured out how to use this power God has given you. You have the power to say yes. And you also have the power to say no. Stay with me. Thank you, tech team. God called Moses from a burning bush. Anybody know the story? Wave your hand if you know the story. And God does his best to tell, no, gee, no wait, not Jesus, not God. Moses, got it eventually. Teresa, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm getting there. Moses does his best to tell God no. God speaks to him from the bush, says, I want to use you, Moses. I want to send you back and give you, let you be my deliverer. And Moses comes up with several reasons why God shouldn't do it. He's like, no. He's like, I'm washing my hair on Thursday. I'm too busy. He is telling God no. Moses came up with several reasons why God should not want him to be the deliverer. Now listen, Bible scholars, think with me. Did God force Moses? You will. Fire just stokes up a little higher, right? You will. You've made me in. That's how, that's how we think about God. We go to uh, the great and powerful Oz, right? Oh, the great and powerful Oz. Do not look at the man behind the curtain, right? God doesn't work that way. That's how man works. God does not try to control or force Moses, but God just tries to persuade Moses. He has a conversation with Moses. He actually barters with Moses. It's crazy. The, the all-powerful God says, well, what if I... Uh, let your brother go with you. He can talk for you. What if, I don't know, what if I give you this power, you can put your hand in your, in your, your cloak and bring it out, and it's leprous. Hey, that staff in your hand, what, you want to see a cool trick? You do this, will you go? Throw it down, comes the snake, pick it back up. Now will you go? He's bartering with him. Do you see this? Will you trust me now? Will you go with me now? Will you be my deliverer now? He's arguing with God. 
Can I tell you, it's okay to argue with God, but you need to get to the good part where God wins. Now, did God push a button in heaven that has a wireless connection to a robotic circuit in Moses' head to to program Moses to say, yes, almighty God, I will go, let my people go. Does he go full robot? God could do that if he wanted. If he wanted robots, robots are easier to create than humans. You can create robots. God, God obviously doesn't do that. Instead, God influences Moses until Moses finally says yes. Jesus is that same God in the flesh, that same God who speaks from a burning bush. Jesus Christ is that same God in the flesh. That's one of my favorite things in the world. And Jesus walks up to 12 men. And he says these words. This is his entire pitch. Do you like his sales pitch? He says, follow me. Really good. Really good. Follow me. That's his entire pitch. Right? Was Jesus giving them an ultimatum? Follow me or else you either become a fisher of men or you sleep with the fishes, Peter. Does, does, Charles, does, does Jesus do that? He doesn't give them an ultimatum. Instead, Jesus gives them the opportunity. He just lays it out there. He says, follow me. We don't have punctuation in the Greek. It could be follow me, question mark. It could be follow me, exclamation point. It could be just follow me, period. We don't really know. I don't know. I would like to hear his, his pitch like that. Follow that's all he says. I want to tell you that every one of those men had the power to say no. In fact, there are people in the Bible that do tell Jesus no. They say, not today. I've got to go bury my dad. But I, I've kept all the law. Well, go sell all that you have. And he says no. And he walks away sad. Jesus just lays it out there. Follow me. The same God who's all powerful can do everything. That's how he acts. That's how he operates towards you. What are we saying? You can tell God no. Next slide says this. Nothing could stop God from creating the world. Do you believe that? Yeah. But you can stop God from creating you believe that? Nothing can stop God from creating the world. But you, you could stop God from working in your life, from for redeeming you, for forgiving you, for giving you purpose. You could tell him no, 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 and walk away. You have so much power. Some people are power hungry. They're like, oh, I just want power. You just don't even understand the power. You have the power right now, church, to tell God yes or tell God no. You have the power to respond to God freely. You have already been telling him yes or no today. Do you realize that? We don't just start at the sermon 
telling God yes or no. No, when we were worshiping earlier, you were either telling him yes, yes, I will speak your name, Jesus. Yes, I will worship you. Yes, I want to be nearer to you. Yes, God, I want to. Or you were telling him no. It's like, don't like this song? I'm not going to worship you to this song. Don't like the beat to this song at all. Churches get that way. It's weird. You, you could tell God yes or no. And you've already, you've already been doing it today. Before we dismiss today, you will once again have the chance to look up at an all-powerful God of the universe and tell him yes or no. Before today's over, we're going to come to this altar and you've got the opportunity to tell him no or to tell him yes. Looking back at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse, udechomai, to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth. Let's talk about that for a little bit. They refused to love the truth. The famous Greek word for unconditional love. Anybody able to say that Greek word? Agape. That's used right here. They refuse to agape the truth. That is the word Paul used here. Love. Agape. The truth. An unconditional love. They refuse to love it unconditionally. That's its own sermon, I think. We put so much attention on knowing the truth never dawns on us to love the truth. Very often the church phone will ring. I will pick it up to hear someone desperate for me to tell them that they are saved. It happens every few days. I get a phone call just like that. They want some pastor to tell them that they are okay. And I have no idea what pastor I am on their quest that day. I could be number 10. I could be number 20. I have a feeling that they've called quite a few people looking for somebody to tell them that they are okay. As awkward as it is, I tell them that none of us are okay. It's never what they want to hear. I'm, I, I'm so tempted to say, Kay, I, I almost called you because I, I needed to know if I was okay. Am I okay? Can you tell me? Right? Because here's the deal. None of us are okay. And there's a little bit of relief in that. You are not the only one that's not okay. We are not any of us okay. I tell them that none of us are okay, so why not join a church full of not okay people? If they, they, on, on Google, they want you to write a description of, of your church, right? A church full of not okay people would actually fit us. That's us. That's Redemption Church. <laughs> we have a praise team full of not okay people. We have a... We have a volunteer staff of not okay people. Uh, let me hear amen to, from all the not okay people today. Amen. amen. We're not okay. But why not? If you're not okay, we're not okay. None of us are okay. Why not join a church full of not okay people who love God and love God with us and let's love one another? On the phone, they want to know what, they want to know that what they have done is all that they need to do to be saved. They, they want to know that they have done all the criteria, the checklist, if you will, in order to be saved. They have done these very true things. I'm not even saying false things. They've done true things when they were small children. They believed. 
They sang, yes, Jesus loved me, and they actually believed it when they said it. They, they, they sang it and believed it. They prayed to God. They may have said a sinner's prayer. They, they were baptized, etc. There's several things there. They took communion, right? They were christened. They, they, they were confirmed. There's all kinds of things that people can do. Although they have done these things, they've done these things, but you, they're calling me. God, they've never met with desperation in their voice because they know things don't save them. They do not believe that they are saved. In fact, they are scared to death. They know truthful facts. At one time, they received a truthful doctrine, but somehow they did not receive a love for that truth now they're talking to me about a past life where they were baptized, a past life where they used to pray, a past life where they used to be in love with Jesus Christ. And now they're completely unsure of where they stand with God. What about us? What about us today? Let's be honest a little bit. Do, do we love the truth? Do we have an agape love, unconditional love for the truth? We're not careful. We'll get in. We'll get into the mode of well, we belong to this church and we believe these things and those are the things we do. Aren't we good? We have those things. Let me tell you, you having that collection of stuff, things, beliefs, checklists, that is not the same as loving the truth. Do we tell truth no? Sometimes when you read the Bible, <laughs> you can read a few things that tell you a little bit about your life, right? Whoa, 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 I think I turned to the wrong psalm today. <laughs> Let's just turn. I was looking for a pleasant, nice little verse, and this one called me a sinner and double-minded and <laughs> that I needed to change the way I lived. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get back. That wasn't John 3.16. Let's just turn this page again. Do we tell truth? No. Do we go, ooh, Do we refuse the truth? Do we refuse to love the truth? I can walk into any church in America and say, don't we love the word of God? And the crowd will shout, amen. That's good. And then I'll follow it up with, have we read the word of God this week? And the crowd that just said amen starts to crawl under the pews. It's amazing. We love the word of God. We read it. Where'd they go? Did the rapture happen? Did I, did I miss it? Where? The crowd's gone. Do we love the presence of God in the wonderful name of Jesus? How do you think the church is going to respond? Yeah. Does the congregation clap their hands and say, oh, yes. Yes, we do. Have we spent time in prayer with God? The congregation starts to think about changing their membership to a less judgmental church. How dare he talk to us that way? <laughs> I'm not lying. Do we love the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm talking about the death. Somebody say, yeah. yeah. The burial. Somebody say, yeah. yeah. And the resurrection. Somebody say, yeah. yeah. I mean, so we could have just church. You walk into the right church and say that, Teresa. I mean, you'll just have a 
a three-week revival on your hand. They, they, get, they get with it. They say, oh, yes, praise the Lord, brother. Finally, some good preaching around here. That's what they'll say. They'll say that. You follow it up with, then have we told someone about Jesus this week? Right? Same church is like, what's, what's up with that? What is up with that? Let's think about that. Do we, do we have, you know, a document saying we believe this? Do we have a profession of faith? Or do we love the truth? Do we simply believe, confess to one another? You know, sometimes we, we just share the gospel to each other. And that's great. Praise God. Y'all encourage each other with those words. Absolutely. But do we love the truth enough to go live that out outside the, the walls of the church? Who's, am I preaching to anybody today? Am I preaching to anybody? Can, can, can I get a little support? To, am I preaching to somebody today? Isn't that all of us? Any messed up people in the house? Isn't there any not okay people in the house? Good, I'm glad y'all are here because I'm preaching to you at Redemption Church. We have these three things. Anybody know those three things? At the end of service, we give you those three things. We did three things when we came together. Now we do three things when we leave. We connect with God. We connect with other believers. We connect other people to the love of Jesus. And we celebrate those things. We love those things. Y'all can recite those things. Praise God for that. But we are not supposed to just recite those things at the end of service. We are supposed to love this truth and actually do these things because we love God. Because we love God, we connect with him. Because we love God, we open up our Bible. Because we love God, we pray. And because we love other people, we hang out with them and we encourage them. And when they are being real and they say, man, I feel like such a failure, we don't kick them out of the church, but we connect with them and say, I know exactly what you're going through. Let's believe together. Let's pray together. And we, because we love this truth, we are willing to walk into awkward situations where we say, yes, God is invisible. He is the invisible man, but you can pray to him and he will hear you and he will answer your prayer and he can save your soul. And they look at you like, oh my gosh, is he on drugs too? That happens. Why you walk into awkward situations like that? It's because you love this truth. You love it enough to be completely awkward. Does anyone love Jesus enough to just be out of your mind weird? That's my spiritual gift. I am there, Courtney. You know the truth. You know the truth. You know the truth. Oh, man. But do you love the truth? You see, there's no Bible study that can make you love the truth. I can give you a Bible study that will teach you some truth. I can open up the Bible with you. We can look at it. But you've got to love the truth. And what did that verse say? It says they, they refused to love. Truth. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Always invest in truth and never sell it. I'm always buying, I'm never selling. We know a, a, we have a family member who always has bought 
Amazon stock. And he looks like a genius right now. For, for decades, he's just always bought and never sold. I want to tell you, there is a more sound investment than Amazon. There is a more sound investment than SpaceX. There is the investment of the truth. And you should always be buying it and never selling it. Truth is always worth more than what you could line your pockets with. Truth is always worth more than the pleasure of sin that you could have for a season. When you love the truth, you could never part with it. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, one more time. It says, they perished because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Let's talk about this next part. They refused to be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe it says that? That's quite the statement, Paul. Do you understand that God does not send people to hell? I'll wait a second on that. Because, man, I love to preach that. God is love. If you have this picture of God that he smiles as he kicks someone over the precipice into hell, that is not the right picture of God. That's not what God's like at all. God, I want to help you today. God does not send people to hell. The message of the Bible is not that God does not just like certain kinds of people, so he kicks them into hell. That's not the message of the Bible. Read your Bible. That's not the message of the Bible. But the message of the Bible is God hangs out with weirdos that he doesn't like. Because he loves them enough to stay with them and be faithful to them. God sent his only begotten son into the world to a bunch of weirdos like us to save them. That's the message of the Bible. John the Baptist looks and sees a man without knowing his name yet perhaps. I don't know how how this works. But he looks at a man and something jumps up in him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sins of the people God likes. No, he takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ came to save all the broken, messed up people. Every drug addict, every person on depression heavily depressed, every backslider, every murderer, he came to save an entire world full of messed up people. Everything needed for eternal salvation has already been provided by Jesus Christ. Who who believes it? I want to tell you that there is no missing ingredient. Sometimes I pour myself cereal. Here's the process. I get the bowl. I get the box of cereal. I pour the cereal. I put that box up. I'm really proud. I didn't leave it out. Sarah's going to be so proud of me. I go down there. I open up I open up a drawer. There's a spoon there. I'm like, all right, one more ingredient. Y'all know what's going to happen, right? I go to, the, go to the fridge. I open up. The milk's gone. We are out of milk. There is a missing ingredient to this cereal proposition. I want to tell you when it comes to God's recipe for eternal salvation, There is not a missing 
gallon of milk in the equation. There is nothing missing. He has provided every single thing you need to make heaven. Every single thing. Everyone should be saved. Now, I'm not telling you everyone is saved. Can't, can't go along with that. Scripture says too much about broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are people that will go to hell. There, will, there are people that will spend an eternity in a place called hell. The most quoted scripture of all time is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They should not perish. Nobody should perish. Not a single person. God's provided everything you need. The reason people will not be saved is not because Jesus forgot something. The reason that people will not be saved is because they say no to Jesus. They say no to God. The reason people will go to hell is because they, they say no to the presence of God. Do you understand that? Hell is a place where God's presence is not. It's the only place where God's presence is not. There are people who lived a life that says, God, I don't want to be anywhere near what you say, anywhere near your commands, anywhere near your presence. I don't want any of it. So God creates a place where his presence is not, where his word is not, where his spirit is not. And it's a place called hell. And because they chose to live a life where they refused everything of God, they get an eternity. God actually gives them what they wanted in life, a life free from God. And that's what hell is. God does not send people to hell. He answers their prayer for hell. I don't, an actual prayer, no, not so much a prayer. More like, no God, no God, no God. They get to live an eternity full of no God. Everyone should be saved. They refused to be saved. They said no. As powerful as God is, he has given you the awesome ability to tell him yes or no. Udakomai, refused. You have the power to refuse or to receive today. What will you do? When you refuse God... He does not force you to receive, just like those disciples when he says, follow me, just like Moses when he says, go be my deliverer. God does not force you. Instead, God does something that is scary. He lets you refuse him. When you refuse him, there comes a moment, Amber, where he just says, okay, you can do it your way. That's so scary when God lets you walk away from him. One more time, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10, throw that up there. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, ooh, what happens after that? For this reason, God sends them with powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. 
I believe when he says a singular lie here, I believe he's going back to that Garden of Eden lie. That's another sermon. I'll let you consider that. God loves you, and he wants you to be saved. But there is a scary place in God where he allows you to refuse. He allows you your free will to say no. God will reason with you. God will try to influence you. God may speak to you in dreams. God may send you witnesses to testify to you. God may let things scare you enough to get back to him. All of those things happen. God will reach for you, absolutely. But there is a place where God stops sending truth and instead sends a lie. Whoa. Heavy, dude. Look at somebody say, heavy, dude. That's heavy, isn't it? God sent truth to us. He sent love to us. He sent kindness to us. He sent mercy to us. He sent grace to us. He sent Jesus to us. But there's a place where you tell him no enough, he sends a lie to you. What do we do with this? <laughs> this happens several places in Scripture, by the way. I've got it in my notes. You can find it on, the, on our website, on the sermon. Happens several places in Scripture. But no, wait, here's my problem. Here's where your, your little thinking cap ought to like go off a little bit. God doesn't lie. Isn't that, isn't that true in Scripture? Yeah. Titus 1 and 2 says, the God who does not lie. He does, God doesn't lie. So how does God send a lie? What is that about? Aha, I got you, Pastor. Right? Anybody there? When we say no to truth, we say yes to a lie. When you say no to truth, you say yes to a lie. Do you understand that? Yeah, absolutely. When we refuse God's truth, he will allow us to believe a lie. In fact, he will allow, if you will not receive his spirit, he will let you receive another spirit. And he will, he'll take his hand of protection off of you and let an evil, lying spirit have access to you. And that is scary indeed. God does not chase you down and force you to believe his truth, but he will allow you to believe the lie. Even more, he will allow a spiritual deception to overtake you so that you believe the lie. Saying no in any way to truth is dangerous. I've got for you, hopefully, a color on the screen. Do we have a color on the screen? We do. Look, we do. That took us, it blew out our tech budget this week. All right, somebody help me. What is the color on the screen? Blue. Yes, that's the truth. This is the color blue. It would be basically impossible to believe that this color is not the blue unless you've got some kind of color blindness. Thank you, son. So let me ask you this. Can anyone make themselves believe that this is the color orange? Somebody work hard. Can you believe it enough? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Anybody? Who believes it's orange yet? Could you make yourself believe? Who still believes it's blue? Not enough of y'all. All right, all of y'all good. All right, good. I was worried. Like, are we going to raise your hand? Here we go. I want to tell you, I'm not able to make myself believe this is not blue. I'm not able to believe 
that it's orange. That's a, that's a hard thing about belief. You can't make yourself believe. Let me help you a little bit. You, if you're having trouble with faith, it's not that you just need to try to faith harder. It's that you need a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship with God, you'll trust him more. And that's faith. You follow that. Yet when we say no to God's truth, when I say I refuse your truth, God will allow a spiritual deceiver, a powerful delusion to come to us and help us believe the lie. There is, in this example, we've got the color blue. But what if you saying no to God, God allowed a spiritual liar in your brain that told you, that's the color orange. And suddenly you went, yep, that's the color orange. That would be scary, wouldn't it? If a demonic force confused you into believing something that is not true. You listen to me. It's already happening in the world. It's happening in the world all over the place. I think we could all think of examples right now in our culture where people look at the things and God say, that's not how it is. That's orange. Now, this is the color blue. But what if it's not about colors? What if, what if this represented God's love? God loves you and he loves all people. What if that's what this represents up there? And what if a lie came to you that said, God only loves certain kinds of people. God only loves certain kinds of people with certain color of skin or certain culture or certain demographic, if you will. What if that lying spirit got you to question the love of God, that God doesn't love other people, or maybe even that God doesn't love you? Who's heard that liar before? Who's heard that liar that says God's not loving you, God's given up on you, God's turned his back on you? I'm telling you, He's a liar. Somebody say the devil. He's a liar. What about this one? Jesus is God. What if this color right up here represents the truth that Jesus is God and the only way to God? I have seen people who once believed that so fervently. They believed that truth so fervently. They sang songs about it and they just got beside themselves. They they told everyone about it. They wept over that truth. Yet, something happened in their life where they told God no. And after a while, they started to believe that Jesus wasn't God. And that Jesus was maybe just one of many ways to God. Or that maybe Jesus was just a made-up story to begin with. What's going on there? You know what happened? There is a demonic force that lies. I've even seen these people who used to preach from the word of God about Jesus. They use that same Bible to twist those scriptures to preach against Jesus. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's absolutely frightening. How about this one? God's word is true. I've known too many preachers. I've known too many preachers who preach from the word of God only to have something going on in their life. Maybe a secret sin. Maybe something nobody knows about, but 
in that secret sin, they're actually telling God no. And even as they're given an altar call to tell other people to come repent of their sin, they're telling God no, and they aren't in that altar. And that telling God no, refusing to love that truth, refusing to be saved from that temptation, now God sends a delusion. Where I've seen those people that preach the word of God suddenly believe that the word of God may not be true. I've seen them throw out entire books of the Bible. I've seen them throw out the entire Bible. They fell prey to a powerful delusion, Second Thessalonians said. I want to tell you the devil's weapon is a lie. The devil's weapon is a lie. Can you say those words? The devil's weapon is a lie. Now we see angels in scripture, don't we? There's pictures of angels. They're crazy looking. If you read like Isaiah and Ezekiel and stuff, they've got six wings. You thought they had two. They have six wings. It's wild. They've got way too many eyes to be comfortable with. (laughs) But also we see these big, bad spiritual figures called angels with weapons. What's their weapon of choice in the Bible? Can you? It's the sword. Standing outside of the Garden of Eden are two seraphim, two angels, and they stand with flaming swords guarding the way back to the Garden of Eden. There is a prophet, Balaam, and he doesn't see this angel, but the donkey sees the angel, and the donkey's like, please don't make us walk over there. And then suddenly the Lord opens up Balaam's eyes, and he sees an angel standing in his way with a with a sword. Revelation has angelic warriors, and they go do war. Angels have weapons. Although angels have access to weapons, we never see the evil one with a weapon. The Lord, in all of his pictures of the enemy, has never, Kathy, he has never allowed us to see Satan with a sword in his hand. Really interesting. I believe that God does not allow Satan a sword, but that Satan attacks us through the lie. And this is what Jesus himself teaches us in John 8, 44. I've got it in the NLT here. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love, everyone say love, to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. What did it say? He's always hated the truth. Are we talking about loving the truth? Yeah, that's what we're preaching about. Don't make me start over again. We've been talking about they perish because they love not the truth. But here we have Satan, the devil. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You know what a father recreates? They recreate themselves. That's the procreation method. Satan is the father of lies. He is a lie, and all he can produce is a lie. He cannot, you cannot find truth in him. Truth does not exist in him. What exists in him is murder, lies, and death. That's all that exists in him. And children of the devil will only lie, kill, and destroy. And the very people that Jesus is talking to in John 8 
do that very thing to him. The Pharisees, they lied about Jesus. They destroyed Jesus and they killed him on the cross. They were the children of their father, the devil. But it says he murders. Let's get back to this idea. Satan doesn't, we never see him with a sword in his hand, but we see him with a lie in his mouth. And he is a murderer from the beginning. Wherever the beginning is, if that's Genesis 1, he's a murderer there. And Genesis 3 is the first place we see a serpent. And he, he lies to Eve. He lies about Eve. And it, it, it is him being a murderer. His lie is murder. And he has no truth in him. Has always hated the truth. Satan hates the truth. If we do not love the truth, we will fall into the deception of the father of lies. We're drawing to a close. Somebody try to say it. Ooh, dekomai. It's that scary word. It means refused. They refuse to love the truth. They refuse to be saved. I'm reminded when Jesus said these words while weeping, Matthew 23 and 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. They refused. They were not willing to come. They, how often God has wanted to gather us and to protect us. How often God has longed to work within us. But we would not let him. We told God no. I want you to get the picture. This is a few days before Jesus' death on the cross when he says these words in Matthew 23. Although the truth, who is Jesus, he is the truth. Although the truth stood in the city, they believed the lies of the Pharisees. And they, those very people, cried, crucify the Lord of glory. How do we avoid the lies of deception? Let's, put, let's flip the coin here. Flip the script. I want to tell you to be aware. Somebody say, be aware. Be aware. The one who hears this sermon and is not moved in their heart. They may be deceived already. You've got to be aware. Be aware when your heart grows cold. Be aware when you're no longer moved by the preaching of the word. Be aware. Be aware. Remember the word dekomai, it means receive. And it is the negative prefix ooh that makes it mean refuse to receive. So here's what you need to do. Here's how you turn the, the flip the flip the script. You receive again. Can you say receive again? You avoid the lies of the enemy by receiving the truth of God. You can't avoid the truth of God and avoid the lies of the enemy. You got to choose one. You have got to say no to the lies of the enemy by saying receive the truth of God. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. But there's something 
right before those words. Anybody know those words? The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. But there's words right before that. It says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You got to do both. Somebody say, you got to do both. If you will run after God, if you will reach for the things of God, you will automatically move from the things of the enemy. Y'all listen to me real quick. As you seek God, you will have problems in the unhealthy relationships in your life. That doesn't mean your life is falling apart. That means things are getting to where they need to be. That you are pulling away from negativity. That you're pulling away from lies. And yes, there is discomfort in those areas because they are hellish. They are lies and they are slowly destroying you. There are friendships as you run after God. Those friendships will be left behind and that will make you sad. But because you love the truth, you're going to keep running. Who's going to keep running today? Any, anybody going to keep running? Do you often, do you often tell God no? Will you tell him yes today? Are you in love with God's truth? Because you love his truth. Will you say, God, help me to love you more. Help me to know what to do. Help me. Here I am. You can walk. It is perfectly fine to walk up to the altar and, and when we come say, hey, how can we pray for you? It's okay to say, I have no clue. <laughs> that is perfectly fine to say that. I'm just here trying to say yes. <laughs> That's a real good response. I want to share a final scripture with you today. It is found in Revelation 2. Everybody reads past the first two chapters of Revelation. I want to tell you, those are some of the most important. They're these letters. To the churches and people, are like, I don't even know what this is about. What's next? Where are the dragons? <laughs> what they do? Revelations two. John, it is a really cool picture. John sees this vision of the revelation. The revelation of revelation is Jesus. He sees Jesus walking among the candlesticks, and that represents the church. And then chapter two begins. Well, chapter one ends with this. Jesus says to Paul, will you write down my words for me? Or John, or did I say Paul? I, we give Paul too much credit. He's written everything down. No, John, will you write down the words I'm about to say? I want to send some letters out. And so he writes down the words of Jesus. Revelations 2, verse 3. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. And I'll just read this short little portion here. If we have it, I'd love it on the screen. Revelations 2, 3. He says to Ephesus, he says, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Isn't that a great thing for Jesus to say about you? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Who wants Jesus to say that about them? That is so praiseworthy. However, Jesus continues. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Here they are. They're persevering, it says. 
They've endured hardships for the very name of Jesus. That means because they love the name of Jesus, because they refuse to, to trust in any other name, because they stopped preaching, because they refuse to stop preaching about Jesus, because they refuse to take any other name, because of that name, they received hardships. And they have not grown weary in it. That's amazing. But the very next thing he says, but I have this against you. You have forsaken. You've persevered. You've stuck around. You kept coming to church. You kept ministering. You kept volunteering. That's good. Very good. However, I got a problem here. Your love is not like it was in the beginning. Church, you used to love me more. That's what Jesus is saying. Church, you used to pastor. You used to love me more. Sunday school teacher, I'm so glad you're still teaching lessons, but I got a problem. We used to be closer. Do you remember the love you had for Jesus at the beginning? I remember moments in my life where I wandered into a Sunday school, what couldn't could find Genesis from Revelation in the Bible. But I was moved when somebody told me God loved me. And I just loved this God back. And I would sing these songs. And I would do the loud kid voice. Y'all know that kid voice? Didn't care where the pitch was. Yeah, Jesus loves me. It was me. My pitch wasn't great. But my love was. That love you used to have for his truth. That love you used to have for his presence. That love you used to have for his gospel. Ooh. When the gospel is brought to us, do we yawn? Or do we applaud? Do we bow our knees and say, "What? that is the most amazing story ever that God loves us? That love that you once had for Jesus, Ephesus, that love, you have forsaken that love that you had at the beginning. Redemption Church, do you still, are you still blown away by God's love? Do you still love God? Do you still say yes to God? Or are you refusing? Pay attention to these next commands of Jesus. It's the next verse. It's verse 5. Revelations 2, verse 5. We've had good news, bad news, and now instruction. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's quite a thing Jesus says there. I want to draw your attention. I don't want to talk about the lampstand. That's another conversation. I want to draw your attention to the words repent and do the things you did at first. I want, I want to tell you here, it, it says the word things here. But really what I, I, I felt all week is... is it's not so much about the things, it's about the relationship 
that was so active as they did those things. Repent and and return to that love. And you know those things you did when you really loved me, Ephesus? Repent and do those things again. Repent and worship like you used to worship. Repent and cry like you used to weep when you were moved emotionally by my presence. Do those things again. Repent and return to the love that you had for the truth. I love to see new Christians. Love to see young babies in the Lord with their Bible. They're just reading through it. I've seen you, Amber. I've seen you come in a connect group with your Bible. You bring that Bible every time. Don't you look around and say, well, no one else is bringing their Bible. I guess I won't bring my Bible. You bring that Bible. That Bible's a treasure. And God loves it every time you write in it. And you put a note in it. God loves it when you read in it. And there, you're doing a thing that some of us used to do. Repent. And do those first things again. When was the last time you just fell in love with your Bible and read it? Remember when you were baptized? And not only you were baptized, but you were proud to tell everybody you were going to be baptized. And then you told everybody that you were baptized. Remember that? Number one, you could get baptized again. That's a thing you could do. You could go do that. But it's not even about the thing here. It's about that love, returning to that love. Stop refusing his love. In the next few moments, these altars are going to be open. Cleet is going to sing. There's going to be worship. There's going to be a moment of worship in this place. There's going to be an opportunity to come get prayer. If you want to come get prayer, you come in the first two feet. We'll come talk to you. We'll pray with you. But you don't have to even do that. I want to tell you that God is in this room right now. He is reaching for you. And you have the power to tell him yes. Or you have the power to say, no, I will not receive. These altars are open right now. Come. As I For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.